Good afternoon um, to everyone who has been able to join us this afternoon. Uh, we thank God for another Friday and welcome to Enfleshed by Watch and Walk Ministry. Enfleshed uh, is um, designed to help you to embody the Word of God in the journey of life. Uh, we've been looking at uh, Matthew 5 for the past um, two weeks. Uh, we actually started Enfleshed with John chapter 1. And then we looked at the personality of the word of God and the fact that the word of God is a person full of grace and truth, just to help you to approach the word of God with the right heart and then um, just desire to apply the word of God to your life. And then last week, uh, I think uh, we looked at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. Um, Dr. Gregory joined us. It was a wonderful time. We looked at how the Beatitudes, or even the same on the Mount, even though they look unattainable and unachievable, um, they function as, um, the teachings actually function as um, a way to draw us. It's, it's a way that God uses to just draw us to grace so that we can rely on him and as we um, seek to apply his word in our life. Uh, my name is Ebenezer Edijemfi, um, your regular facilitator of flesh. Um, with, um, I, I'm a student at Baylor Truett Seminary um, doing my Master of Divinity. And today, uh, we have about two new people with us, but the rest, those who have been following and flesh, have been uh, meeting them. I have, I'll start with the ladies first. I have Cecily. Um, I, I think most of you know Cecily. Cecily is a Truett student, a Master of Divinity student, and also um, Girls Youth Ministry Associate um, at Columbus Avenue Church. And also have Mackenzie. Uh, Mackenzie Rock is uh, a director, assistant director of Baptist Student um, Ministry at Baylor, I mean, on Baylor campus. Mackenzie is also a true graduate. I think you, she graduated last, last year, right? Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. And then I have um, Sam Steele. Sam is also a true uh, student, Master of Divinity student, and also a music minister at uh, First Baptist Elmot, right? Texas. Right. And then I have Philip. Philip uh, is from India, but he's actually in Bela pursuing his master, master, master of music. And um, Richard is in uh, Ghana. Uh, Richard <laughs> is um, a curriculum and um, uh. development and training uh, manager. Um, and he's also a, a Sunday school teacher at Grace Baptist Church. Um, so it's a great time to have all of you join us. And today we are going to look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse um, 7 to 12. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 to 12. As we are so um, looking into the Beatitudes. And my prayer is that as we discuss, I mean, you just uh, ready your heart, you just gird your heart uh, to enflesh these teachings that God has given us, even in his work. Uh, before we start, I'll ask uh, Mackenzie to pray with us, and Cecily, you will do a reading for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Like Ebenezer said, we're thankful for another Friday. Um, that, that means you've brought us through another week. Lord, would you help us to be people who are perceptive to you and to your word? Um, God, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for the many gifts that you've given us in the, in the 
ability to use those gifts and to be strengthened in those gifts. God, I pray that this time would be um, an encouragement, that this time would be a time of learning, a time of creativity and imagination about who you are and who you called us to be as your people. Lord, that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. And I'm so thankful to get to be here with friends and just to, to talk through your word and to commune with you. So God, would you lay Lay your spirit heavy on us um, so that we can think good things about you, that we can say true and right things about you. Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a space to do this. I'm thankful for time to do this. God, thank you most of all for Jesus. Lord, we know that more than anything in this whole world, um, Jesus is needed. The truth and the gospel um, need to be uh, at the forefront of our minds so that we can love and enter into people's lives in the same way that you did. God, help us to be enfleshed, um, enfleshed and enclosed with your gospel. Thank you for doing the same for us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray all these things. Amen. 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 Thank you, Mackenzie. And Cecily, Matthew 5, 7 to 12. Yes, let's read. Matthew 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be God. God. Thank you very much uh, for that. I'll start with you, uh, Cecily Harida. And um, well, the first one, verse 7, talks about blessed and merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, I'd like you to help us understand uh, this verse. Uh, what does it mean to be merciful? How would the merciful obtain mercy? Um, help us break that down a bit. I've been really influenced by um, Bishop Robert Barron when he talks about this verse um, and, and really what it means to be merciful. He talks about a cycle of grace. And so we are keenly aware, the merciful person uh, is keenly aware of God's grace in their life. And because of that, that encourages us and even shows us how to be merciful to other people. Right? Because I've ex I know what it's like to see mercy in my own life. And so then, of course, it's so easy to then pass that on to other people. And as I do that, and as I'm learning from God what it means to be a person who is gracious, a person who is merciful, because I've received that myself, I share that with others. And now it's like more, more, it, it grows exponentially throughout our lives, the, the ways we are aware of God's mercy in our own life. Yeah. And so I've done that with my my. Um, middle school girls in Sunday school, we ask every week what were your highs, wows, and woes. And so they share a high of the week, a funny thing that happened, and woe is how did you see God move? Like, whoa, I can't believe God did this in my life this week. And every week we remind them they have a really hard time of seeing where was God in my life. And so it's it's a, a spiritual discipline where we're teaching each other and trying to learn is how have how how do I see God's mercy in my life? And so that person who obtains mercy and can be called merciful, I think has, has gone through the spiritual discipline and is continuing that each day. Is it where, where is God in my life? And am I looking for that? That I wake up this morning looking, mm. God show me how you've been merciful to me. Mm. Awesome. Thanks a lot. 
Sam, any thoughts? Yeah, I guess when I think of the word mercy, it gets thrown around a lot, but I heard one pastor say once that um, mercy is like compassion on wheels. Hmm. So mercy is enacted compassion. If we want to say like enfleshed compassion, we can say that because, you know, sometimes when we talk about compassion, we can just talk about like, Oh, I feel, I feel pity for this person, but mercy puts the flesh on that. So when Jesus says like, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy or they will be shown mercy. He's saying, well, if you if you are enfleshing feelings that you might have of compassion towards others, you'll be shown that. It's not always one for one, and I think that's always something that we need to keep in mind yeah. because the merciful aren't always necessarily shown mercy by those to whom they show mercy, yeah. which I think is... And I think Jesus has something to say about that in verse 11, but we'll get to that probably here in a little bit. Yeah, um, great. Well, great. Um, Philip, any thoughts? Yeah, when I was dwelling on the aspect of mercy, the thing that came to mind is, is mercy is something very unique to the characteristic of God. It's not in human nature. Mm-hmm. There's a unique and important aspect of agape love. And for me, the purest form that are the highest form of mercy is forgiveness. Mm. I think of like a courtroom image, you know, we're all standing there and there's the great judge, you know, and we have all these charges being read against us and there are serious charges. No one is exempt. We all have these charges against us. And you would think the sentence for that is guilty and you're expecting the worst. It's a death sentence. But then the great judge who intervenes, who's also an advocate on our behalf, says, I'm going to absolve you from these uh, serious charges. I'm going to declare you innocent. Mm -hmm. And you're just blown away. You're just amazed. You're just uh, completely just, you know, you're in so awe in in awe of what God has done in that moment. And that, I feel, is is a great aspect of what mercy is. You know, he absolves Mm -hmm. us from sin. Wow. Thanks a lot. Um, when we talk about mercy, I mean, what, what, what also comes to mind? You know, when you um, take a look at Romans, I mean, the book of Romans, and especially verse 9, 10, 11, um, we get time just take a look at it. It's a, it's a wonderful um, passage there where Paul is talking about how God brought in the Gentiles even to, into the kingdom and grafted them, so, so to speak. And they talked about the fact that we were not the people of God, but by God's mercy, you know, we, we, we have been counted as people of God. And um, is it, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's what God says. But then uh, in, verse, in chapter 12, when you look at all that has happened, I mean, all that God has done for us as people of God, um, Paul then advised them, or I mean, exhorts them that in view of God's mercies, in view of God's mercies, I'd like you to, I mean, I urge you to offer yourself what is a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. So if you look at 9, 10, 11, you realize that what God really went through to make sure that uh, we become part of the commonwealth of Israel, so to speak, 
is is wonderful. I mean, we know about the the, the death um, and the resurrection of Christ, and even what Christ had to go through. So when you look at the fact of God has saved you, God has opened your eyes to really understand the gospel, uh, to embrace the truth of the gospel. Uh, my good friend here, Richard, I don't mean to put, I don't mean to put him on a spot, but he always tells me whenever I'm talking about why why is it that somebody cannot get this? Why is it that they cannot understand this principle of righteousness? And he's like, you need to thank God for mercy that you're able to see, you know. Anyway, so um, that's what I can add um, to that. So God has shown us mercy. And uh, we just have to continue to show mercy. You know, it's not even like he continues to show us mercy. And then that gives us hope to continue to show mercy to others. Um, but, but let's look at verse 8, where he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, pure in heart, for they shall see God. Mackenzie, uh, what can you say about that? What does it mean to be pure in heart? How, how would these people see God? Oh, I think, I mean, I think the the key word there is pure. So what does it mean to be pure? What is purity? I think a lot of times in our culture um, and in scripture too, we see purity um, is really tied closely with sexuality and sexual immorality. And, um, and even broader than that, it's about relationship. And so remaining remaining pure or um, uncontaminated in relationship. I think that's, that's the kind of purity that, um, that Christ is talking about here. And, and, you know, just doing a quick word study of where else do we find purity and uh, Apostle Paul talks about it a lot in Philippians, you know, one of the, one of the great verses four, eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And in the Psalm, uh, they ask the question, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? Mm. Um, and, and that has everything to do with relationship. Um, and then finally, I found this interesting too. Um, in the book of James, James one twenty seven, it says, "Religion that our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this: to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world." Mm. So, purity, I think, has everything to do with right relationship um, with God, mm. and. I think too, purity also has everything to do with clarity. So, but I don't think we can have clarity in our lives without purity, without remaining pure in good standing with God, uh, remaining uncontaminated. Um, and so, um, I think the way that we, the, those who are pure, are the ones who find themselves in right relationship. You know, it's like what you're saying. Um, God's enacted or enfleshed. I like what you said, Sam, God's enfleshed compassion upon his people. Um, and those, those of us engrafted, those who are not, you know, belonging to the Jewish culture, the Jewish way, um, those who are um, solely grafted in by what God has done through Christ. I think, I think that's how we become in relationship. That's how we become pure. Mm. And two, I think purity has everything to do with, with heart and mind, um, you know, in our, these really thick Bibles that we, we get, um, I'm, I'm operating out of a, uh, an NIV international, new international version study Bible. And, um, 
I just, I just real quickly look what it had to say about uh, chapter five, verse eight. The center of one's being included mind. Um, the center of one's being included the mind, will, and emotions. So being, being in right relationship with God includes all of those things, right? It includes our minds, our wills, and our emotions. And mm -hmm. so we are pure. I, I think, I think here what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that nothing else is going to get in the way of our right relationship with God. Mm -hmm. um, and so in that right relationship with God, that's how we see God. That's how we see God moving. It's, that's how we put on um, a new mindset is when our hearts, our wills, and our emotions are aligned in purity with God. Hmm. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, Rich, do you have any thoughts on that? All right, thank you. Uh, I want to look at the Beatitudes. Uh, if you look at verse 3 up to 10, you will see something very interesting. The first three values that Jesus talks about uh, reflects our emptiness, our own spiritual bankruptcy. It talks about poverty, it talks about mourning, and it talks about meekness. And you see in the text uh, these three uh, emptiness, uh, the description of our own emptiness, leads to something very interesting. It leads to a hunger and a test for righteousness. Mm -hmm. So from verse 7 to 10, I see a description of what righteousness is. Mm -hmm. uh, the person of a righteous person uh, is actually full of mercy, mm -hmm. and that person is pure in heart, and that person is a peacemaker. Mm -hmm. So that, that is what I see when I look at the, the three, verse 3 to uh, verse 10. So when you look at the aspect of purity, which is a key component of righteous living, uh, which uh, Mackenzie just referred to, the holiness aspect of it. Uh, if I look at Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4, it says that, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Mm. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, mm. who does not lift his soul to what is false, and who does not uh, swear deceitfully. So here there's a clear description of the purity here, uh, that there, there is no falsehood, uh, there is no deceit uh, in it. And then when you go to James chapter 4, uh, verse 8, it says, that, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Mm. Uh, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you men of double mind. So this is what I see, uh, which is another dimension of the purity aspect here. That he's talking about, in James, the same clean your hands you see in uh, Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4, and come with a pure heart, the same thing is being said here. Uh, but in Psalm, it says that falsehood and deceit is not part of the life of purity. But here in James, it talks about double-mindedness. Mm. Ye men of double minds. So what I see as another as meaning to the concept of purity here is that uh, the, the one who is pure in heart wills only one thing. Mm. He doesn't will two things. He's not double-minded. 
is yeah. kind of uh, single-minded and is single-minded towards God's truth, God's value, towards the kingdom of God. He pursues what Jesus said, the kingdom and his righteousness. He's looking for one thing. That is why you look through the uh, scripture. It says that we should set our eyes on what is above. It mm. talks about thinking about what is pure. So the pure in heart uh, is a person who just will one thing, and that is God mm. and his glory and his values and his truth and who he, stand, he is and who he represents. Uh, his glory is what the person pursues. And it's interesting it says here that those who are pure in, in heart, they will see God. They will see God. Uh, what I see there is that seeing God is being admitted into his presence. Mm. So that those who are single-minded on God's truth and on God's value in everything that they do and in whatever they are, they will experience the glory of God. Mm. They will encounter God's very presence in their life. And, and it's not like just in the future, but in the present, mm. they, they will experience the presence of God clearly evident in whatever they do. Uh, so, so that is why when I, I initially said, if you look at verse 3 up to 10, you will see that the first three verses talks about the emptiness. And then from verse 7 to 10, which describes the righteousness, it's talking about the fullness of life that we have in Christ Jesus. Mm. And that is a life of power in mercy, a life of power in purity, singleness of mind, and seeking and pursuing the glory of God in everything that above everything. All right. And that, is, that, that, that is what I see. Okay. Um, that's, that's, um, that's a great uh, thought there. And, um, well, pure in heart, they shall see God. And uh, what Mackenzie said and Rich said, uh, when I think about it, one, also, one thing that comes to mind is um, the thought that the purity of the heart is linked to the purity of the mind. Yeah. You know, you talked about the Philippians 4, 8, you know, whatever is noble and all that, think on this. And Paul encourages, encourages them, um, let this mind that was in Christ also be in you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then that, that is linked to the purity of the heart. Mm -hmm. So, and I like the, 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 the verse that you quoted um, as well uh, in Psalm um, 24, um, Rich. And even he said that even if I regard iniquity in my heart, uh, David said in Psalm 66, if I regard in iniquity in my heart, the, world, the, the Lord will not hear. So there is this idea that you, you don't cherish evil in your heart. And uh, you, don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't meditate on evil. In your heart, you don't. That's not the, 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 the subject of your reflection on a, a daily, a, your daily activity, uh -huh. and that's very important for us to um, note. And the, the idea of seeing God, I also like that uh, concept that Rich brought. That it's not just eschatological, or it's not like a future thing. It's it's also a present reality that you experience God, the peace of God, uh, in your life. And I I also look at it in this way that when you have this purity, this singleness of mind, this kind of um, focus on God, what happens is that he gives you the ability to acknowledge his sovereignty in all your world, in all that is happening in your life. He gives you the ability to see him at work. You know, uh, at this point in time where 
everybody seems to think, a lot of people th- seem to think that God is asleep. <laughs> there are some people who are seeing God at work. And it takes purity of heart, you know, to be able to acknowledge the move or the hand of God in what people consider as what? Dark and, and hopeless. When men say there's casting down, you will say there's lifting up because you're able to see God at work. And that, that is also one thing I say, the blessing when you engage in this purity of heart, that God gives you this blessing, that you can see him uh, in darkness, you can see the light uh, in darkness. And uh, thanks a lot for all these um, comments. But let's look at, uh, I think it's really linked to the, the next one. Um, let's talk about the peacemakers. Um, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called of God. Um, let, um, Cecily, how do you define peace in the kingdom? What is a peace and who are these peacemakers? Why is that important? Yeah, you know, I, and you're, you're definitely right. Dr. Gregory reminded us last week, and Rich has reminded us again, mm-hmm. um, that really it's tempting to go through the Beatitudes and kind of cherry pick, you know, which ones I need a little bit of peace. I need a little, but really what makes this, and this is the great sermon um, about what it means to be kingdom people that Jesus has given us is that it's, it's kind of all of these things together. So being a person of peace, I think peace needs a lot of uh, reclaiming because I think often when we think of peace, it's kind of this peacekeeping of, here is a controversy or a hard situation, and I just want to get rid of it. <laughs> I want to sweep it under the rug so that nobody's mad with each other. I'm not really concerned about necessarily a constructive outcome. I just want the problem to go away. And so I think that we say, oh, so now we have peace when no one is upset with each other, and we're not really having to have this hard conversation. But in light of these other beatitudes, blessed is the person who's merciful and who hungers and thirsts for righteousness and who keeps peace that perhaps peace uh, and the peacemaker is someone who is actually able to see injustice or or able to see the wrong that is happening Mm -hmm. and is hungry for this justice and is ready to get their hands dirty and Mm -hmm. they're ready to confront it and call it by its name Mm -hmm. no this is a system of violence actually whether it's um, a friendship, a relationship, whether it's a big, big system like systemic racism, I mean, whatever we're talking about, I think the peacemaker is not the person who's saying, guys, let's not be angry with each other. No, this is no, here's a problem. And because God has called us to, to be people who are, who are very much in the world, bringing Christ's kingdom to the earth, it's to address all of those things, to get their hands dirty. And then justice, right? Yes, of course. These things absolutely go go hand in hand. And I mean, and so I, I think the outcome, the person, the peacemaker's heart then in God's kingdom is to say, I want justice and I want reconciliation with people and God, but also people with each other. And so, yes, I do want us to come to a conclusion, right? Some kind of resolution where we're together, but I don't want to make things easy. I, I want to help let's have the hard conversation, you know, and let's not sweep things under the rug. Let's go through this together. And the peacemaker is a, a wise and righteous person um, who's hearing from God and, and speaking that into the, the lives of their community and, and their friends and, and their systems. Oh, great. Thanks a lot, uh, Cecily. Uh, Philip, 
Um, any thoughts on that? And uh, why, why is peacemaking that important? Why is it so important in our relationship with God? Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. You know, as, as I was going through the Beatitudes, there's one thing that really struck me. And, and this is the truth, that in God's eyes, uh, relational purity is just as important as godly purity. As McKinsey, you know, said, it, it's purity is in relationship. And it's not just the vertical aspect of following God's commands and doing everything for him. But it's in how we view each other, how we treat each other, how we sort of, you know, follow God's commands, but actually kind of live that out towards each other. Mm. So that is why it's important. A relational purity is godly purity as well. So as we love our neighbor as ourselves and see each other as, you know, treat each other as we would want to be treated, you know, that is also godly purity and that's why you know peace banking is so important mm. okay great um sam do you have any thought man i uh i think all these things that mm. we brought up so far are just so important and i i guess it's more of a comment on like whenever we i mean this this has to do part of when I was growing up, part of when what I've just observed, at least in my own context. And I think that one thing is so often with texts like this, like with the teachings of Jesus, we take these and strip them of any like real world political implications that they have. Um, so when we hear like blessed are the peacemakers, Cecily, I think you said it so well, we hear blessed are the peacekeepers, um, who don't stir the pot, who don't do anything to listen to those who challenge the status quo or ourselves attempt to change the status quo. And I think that like, we often forget that the same Jesus who talks about peacemaking says, I didn't bring come to bring peace, but a sword. Um, and what kind of sword is that? It's probably a different kind of sword than we would think. Mm -hmm. um, but this sort of upside down kind of peacemaking that Jesus came to do, to make, uh, is I think what he's talking about here. And so for us to consider what that means not just to consider it, but to try as best we can to live it out and to repent when we don't is key, um, is essential. Because if we're not about the business of making peace, then we're not about the business of Jesus. Um, and I don't think, I don't think that, I don't think it could be, I mean, I know that I live in one and we live in one particular moment in history, but I don't think that it could be any more of an important topic in the time yeah. that we are in right now oh. um, in the climate that we find ourselves in right now. Um, yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot. Um, thanks a lot. So I think I like the way you are merging this whole concept of peace with justice, uh, with the righteousness of God. Um, you know, anytime God showed up, I mean, Jesus showed up in most of the times where people were afraid. He said, peace be still, you know? Yeah. Peace. Anytime he shows up, 
he announces his presence with a you know, proclamation of peace, with a manifestation of peace. So when we, we talk about the kingdom of God, we talk about the gospel, and then God, people are not experiencing the peace that comes from God. They're not experiencing the peace that comes from the righteous reign of God in their lives. That comes from the rule of justice. That comes from um, equality. Then we are contradicting ourselves, you know. And uh, we also understand, I mean, Jesus um, um, died to reconcile us to God. And even Paul talks about that, that we have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. So as we are trying to promote uh, peace among people, we are, you know, ultimately trying to connect people to, with, with God. And that is our, our basic um, responsibility. That's our mission. You know, interestingly, that, that mission will, will not be effective if we do not, as you said, have this embodied understanding of the peace of God, as Sam was trying to point out. And so it's very important that as we are seeking to win souls for Christ. Uh, let us also win our society for him uh, through the, 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 uh, the way we, we, we engage um, um, people, the way we engage in issues that, that, that confront us, you know, regarding justice and all that. So um, it, this is a very important point for us also to note. And thanks a lot uh, for that. Now, Rich, um, let's, let's look at the next one that says that Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, um, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So my question is, um, why does righteousness often attract persecution? Um, let me start. Let me start from uh, Mackenzie, and then Rachel, you join. Let me start with Mackenzie. Yeah. Um, first of all, this conversation is really blessing my heart. So I appreciate you all, um, and I feel like. Um, it's, it's no mistake that, um, after, after, um, peacemaking, um, after, after Jesus talks about, you know, in verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. I think those two things go exactly hand in hand, um, mm-hmm. that our peacemaking Ebenezer, when you were talking about, you know, when Jesus is on the boat and he sticks out his hands and he says, peace be still. Mm-hmm. Um, to Cecily's point, it wasn't just about God making silence. Mm. It, it wasn't it, the, the end. The, the goal of God was not to just stop something. The goal was to put things back as they should be, put things right, mm. make things right. Um, because the reason why God has to speak and stop something is because it's in turmoil. It's, it's, it's not functioning in the way that it it ought to be. And so God, God therefore steps in and speaks peace, but that peace um, is not a referee saying to two teams, okay, um, I'm just, I'm just, it's not two boxers. Okay. I'm going to split you up for, for that. And you both are going to go away frustrated. No, God has come to speak peace, to set things right. And so in that rightness, we have God's righteousness um, and righteousness belongs to God and to God only. Mm. So, um, uh, so your question, Ebenezer, why does righteousness often attract persecution? Um, Dr. Garland has, he's, he's kind of coined a, a term and he talks about how the, the gospel is magnetized. Mm. And so in its magnetism, it draws things in. 
Mm. Um, it draws both positive and negative things in. And so, and also in that, um, um, in that idea of it being this, this uh, magnet in people's life, it also repulses people. Not all magnets re retract every single thing. Not all magnets want to, want to um, come together closely and remain together. A lot of times they, they bounce off. They, they come close, but they don't like it. Or, or even if they're strong enough, they stay far apart. Mm. So I think that it's in that repulsion um, that people have in reaction to the gospel. That's where persecution comes. Mm. Um, because I think, let me... Um, because I think when, when people see something, when we, so how I like that Cecily, when she talks about, when she was saying that we need to reclaim this idea of peacemaking, I think it's so in the same way that we talk about righteousness, that righteousness has somehow become this weak, be quiet, live, live out. You're very, you're very soft. You're very quiet. You're very, um, organized well put together go to church on sunday life but when righteousness is a radical thing because it's a god thing mm. if it's a god thing it's a holy thing mm. um, and a holy thing doesn't belong in a broken world and so i think that's why we have so much so much opposition and that's why persecution comes but i think too um um uh, as, as you'll see in in verse 11 not to jump too far ahead but it, with the same conversation of persecution. Um, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Mm. Um, so really in the end, what people are persecuting is still Christ. It's always Christ. Mm. Christ is the persecuted one. It's mm. um, because it's, it's Christ in us, right? That's, that's the, um, that is our righteousness. We cannot be righteous without, without Christ being in us. And so I think if we're not being persecuted, we have to look at ourselves and say, am I living in the same way that Christ did? You know, his persecution, the way that I think about it is that he, I don't mean, I don't mean this in the actual literal sense, but it's in the way that cancer comes into a body. Your body knows that it's not supposed to be there. It feels uncomfortable. It, it's, it's, changing the way that the mechanism of your body works. And so all the white blood cells, they want to defeat it. They want it to get out of there because it's uncomfortable because they know that it's a, it's an alien thing. It's a not, it's, it's unnatural. It's inorganic to the body. And so I think in the same way, that's all, that's how our world sees Jesus, that it's this weird cancer that wants to change the way things are, mm -hmm. wants to, um, wants to call us into a new form. Um, but mm -hmm. we're fighting that and we don't want that. And so, and so, yeah, I think, yeah. and yeah. That's, that's, that's really deep. Well, uh, uh, when Paul was, encountered Jesus on his way to Damascus, I like the thought that Mackenzie brought in. Paul, Paul, or is that Saul? Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, why are you persecuting uh, me? I mean, anyway, Rich, I mean, that, that's a great one. And Rich, go on. I'm so excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was very impactful for me. Uh, uh, and I, I, I saw the same thing in verse 11 and 10. If you look at 10 and 11, it says that uh, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And it's interesting in verse 11, 
the word because is also used there, because of me. Mm-hmm. The blessed are you who are insulted. When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, mm. right? So the thing is, we find it difficult when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, we take it personal. But like as she said, it's not on you, it's on Christ. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. So why should a Christian struggle, right, when the world persecutes us? And there is a reason why the world will persecute us because the Bible also make it clear that the, a godly life will be persecuted. Mm. Anyone who desires to live a godly life, the scripture says you will be persecuted. And wh- why will you be persecuted? And I, I think that is where, uh, if you look at Luke 16, verse 14 and 15, uh, Jesus was kind of a rebuke uh, to the Pharisee. And he was saying that they are lovers of money uh, in verse 14. But if you look at the verse 15, it says, but he says to them, you are those who justify yourself before men. Mm. So if you look at the root of persecution, there are actually two things. The, I think that's what uh, Jackson talked about last week, that there is an orientation, the church has an orientation towards God. Mm. Uh, and those who have not received Christ and have this faith also have a, an orientation that is adverse <laughs> towards Christ. You get that? So they, they have something that the knowledge of the light, the knowledge of Christ, actually uh, exposes them. Mm-hmm. And for that matter, they want to justify, they want to find a way of justifying that way of living. And that is what I see in Luke 16, 14, and 15. And the Pharisees, in this case, uh, love money. Mm-hmm. And for that matter, they seek to justify themselves by pleasing people so that they could have more of what they love. Mm-hmm. And that is how the world is. So the, the Christian faith stands kind of in attention. And I think that first lesson talks about the light and darkness. Mm. The tension is what you see here. Mm. So if Christ was persecuted, you will also be persecuted because he stands for a kind of living that is completely uh, in opposition to the world's mindset and to the world's way of thinking and, and doing things. Wow. So it is right that the Bible says that if you are with Christ, Mm. And if you want to pursue the kingdom life, there's one thing that you should expect. Just as we expect judgment, a man will die and after that there will be judgment. I mean, the Christians should expect that their life should be persecuted. Wow. It's respect persecution. Yeah. And the, the, the reason we can embrace and go through it is that when I'm persecuted, like Mackenzie said, it is not on me. Mm. It is on Christ. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It has a power. That's the beauty of it. So if a believer can understand and uh, withstand persecution, I think it's more often that, often that we are looking at ourselves, mm. right? I want to be pitied. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but that is not what the Hebrew guys did. <laughs> 
But they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, they said, we know that our God is sovereign, he can deliver us. Mm-hmm. But he can choose not to. Mm. But even if he choose not to, we're not going to bow. Mm. See, that is the attitude yeah. of the believer. Yeah. Knowing the God they serve and knowing that he is no longer, and no circumstance will he abandon or leave us mm. because he's always with us. And yeah. he's, he's, he's mighty, even yeah. in the midst of yeah. the storms of life. Yeah. I think that is a, the, the boldness we should be able to exhibit. Yeah. Uh, and, and knowing that it's not on you. It's okay. not on you. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. Yeah. It's always on about you. Jesus. And, yeah, and thanks okay. a lot. It's, it's really about Jesus. So, wow, well, I'm learning a lot. Um, and he said that without me, you can do nothing, right? In Peter's um, letters, he actually brings the nuance and it helps you to understand this issue about persecution. He said, when you are persecuted, let no one suffer persecution because of unrighteousness. Yeah. All right? <laughs> in a lot of when you, 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 you disobey the law and you are being punished, you think you are being persecuted for Christ. That is wrong. Mm. You know, and Peter really brings that nuance. I like that a lot. And it, because when you step into the righteous persecution, what is actually happening is that I think it's a very good point that my cousin made. He made him who he knows to be seen for us so that we become the righteous of God. So you're actually stepping into the shoes of Christ. You're actually the body. You are functioning as the body of Christ. You're actually the body of Christ, but you're actually functioning as the body of Christ, you know, and he's the head. So then he moves and then he's uh, with you and then he strengthens you to be able to do that. And I, I really like that. And as, I, I don't know um, for those who are really been struggling yep. to accept this part of the gospel, uh, he said that a servant is not greater than his master. Okay, and it's yeah. very yeah. But what you said, what you said, just remind me of the apostles when they were lashed and they were told yeah. to be silent. Yeah, you see the the resulting effect is that they were rejoicing mm-hmm. that they have suffered. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the cause of Christ, mm-hmm. and I, I I think they have that understanding that whatever they suffer. It was not on account of them, but mm. it was on account of Christ. Yeah. And, and I think that is uh, the boldness that, yeah. and the understanding that we need to have to be able to live this life that mm. has been given to us yeah. uh, through the work of Christ Jesus. Right. Yeah. Um, before I look at um, the last um, few uh, thoughts from you, uh, I guess maybe read a couple of comments. Um, there's one from Darren. Uh, which says that the church I mean, is actually about everything that we talked about. The church at Smyrna displayed the power and the purity that comes from successfully enduring persecution. Persecution had purified and purged it from sin and then affirmed the reality of its members' faith. Hypocrites do not stay to face persecution because false believers do not want to endure the pain. Trials and persecution strengthen and refine genuine saving faith, but uncover and destroy false faith. Wow, I love that. The application as we, and I mean, one way of applying this and what we can encourage others to do um, based on what we are sharing today. Um, how does this speak to the condition of, of the heart? Uh, um, uh, Philip, just a quick one on that. What can you say? Yeah, uh, it's very important. Uh, you know, we see in the scripture that God looks at the heart. The heart is a wellspring of life. Um, and you know, when we receive salvation and we invite Jesus into our heart, but it's more important, I think, is to give our heart back to Jesus. 
because it goes beyond salvation to transformation of the heart into living that empowered life that God has called us to live. Mm-hmm. And might I say that uh, God looks to make his home, his residence in our hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing. Uh, it got, the, the creator of the universe whose, whose throne is, is in heaven, who abides in heaven, who's, uh, it says the earth is his foot, footstool. He comes down and you, you see the changes and paradigms and how he manifests and how he inhabits his people. He starts, uh, you know, he dwells in the tabernacle. He dwells in the temple. And that too, the temple in the Holy of Holies is contained the fullness of the presence of God. Then we have, you know, we have synagogue. We have the embodiment of, of God in Jesus. We have the church. But actually, the most intimate place is, is in the person's heart. Wow. Might I even say the person's heart becomes the Holy of Holies. All right. Because God wants to be in there, you know. So, you know, a right disposition of heart in order to bring about that Holy of Holies in our hearts mm-hmm. is the first place is, is, is a place of realizing that we're broken. Mm-hmm. You know, as Richard said, the first few Beatitudes point out our brokenness, our emptiness, our loneliness. And when we real, really realize our brokenness and we repent, we, we come before God you know, asking for mercy and forgiveness. And then God inhabits our heart. Mm. You know? yeah. So it's a process of yeah. really sacrifice and surrender. Yeah. You yeah. bring your brokenness as your sacrifice and you bring complete surrender. Mm-hmm. And then you will find that God takes over, yeah. and it's a continual process as well. Wow! Wow! Great, um, Sam. Uh, I can see you shaking your head. <laughs> it's, 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 up, eh? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm getting wrecked, man. Um, <laughs> I've been getting wrecked this whole time. Uh, but um, now I would say it does have to do so much of this response of peacemaking does have to do with the posture. Um, of our hearts. Um, and I think, Philip, you're right. It has first to do with a posture of repentance. Amen. You know, it has first to do with how can you be shown mercy if you don't recognize that you need it? Mm. Like, how can you be shown grace if you don't recognize that you need it? Mm. Um, and I think that when because if we're if we're to live out forgiveness if we're to live out forgiveness as a part of peacemaking then we have to recognize that we also require forgiveness um and that's across the board um i don't and part of the way that like like our sin is not just personal our sin is always affecting others whether we know it or not, whether we see it or not. And so that has to do with the peacemaking dimension, not just peace with God, not just the vertical, as you said, Philip, but also the horizontal, because then it's all contained within what Jesus is saying here. So I guess the first, I mean, later in the sermon, he'll say like, you know, if you're, if you come to the altar and realize that, you have something against your brother or sister, leave it, go be reconciled. Mm. Like, I think he means it. He's not just saying like, 
he's not just saying, oh, you know, have nice feelings towards, you know, your brother or sister. He's yeah. saying, like, no, actively forgive this person who you have wronged or seek reconciliation with this person who has wronged you. Mm. Like, that's a requirement for worship yeah. is what Jesus is saying. Mm. And so it's not, it's, it, it's almost as if it's a posture of the heart admitting to God we've done, we have not only sinned against God, but sinned against mm. his image. Wow. Sinned against God as he exists in our fellow human being. Wow. Um, and he does. So, and I mean, that's why Jesus can also say that these are the two greatest commandments. Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with, sing, with singleness of mind, with like every with your whole entire being but the second is also like unto it love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these like they are never separated all right all right thanks a lot um i wish you could go on but next week is there if uh we couldn't uh we can't continue but we'll continue next week um i would like to run up today i want us to end in a, a different way uh, with this idea of the heart, I'm, I, you know, God is, God is, God is working. He's speaking to um, all of us, and I'm really humbled by that. This whole idea, all that we talked about, about uh, purity of the heart, mercy, and all that, has to do with the disposition of your heart. Now, one thing that I, 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 I thought about when I, we're looking at this was is that the disposition of your heart actually determines how well you can embody these scriptures. You know, if your heart is not a home. Uh, for Christ, then you cannot really walk um, in these teachings. It's not, it's not even possible. But the moment you step in, you allow him to come into your life and he enables you to walk in it. Then as Rich said, that whatever happens is not on you, it's on him. Um, you need to note that. And so uh, today, my prayer is that, I mean, I, I'm going to play a song. Um, and my prayer is that that will be your prayer. You know, that, that's going to be your prayer. And um, that would be a way for you to invite Jesus to make your heart, I mean, his home, you know, because, I mean, he is so ready to do that. And as he comes in, then he will give you the ability, the capacity to really enflesh this truth. Paul said, examine your heart and see whether Christ is in it, whether you're in the faith. You know, can't you see that Christ is in it? Unless, of course, you fail the test. I pray that none of you or none of us will fail the test, even after listening Today. So God bless you. And I said, I just listen to this song and let it be, um, let it be a blessing. Let it be a great time. And let it be a prayer for you, even as we round up. Touch me through